Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. We have been lighting candles each week to draw our attention back to the lessons of Advent. Lighting candles is a simple but profound practice as it signifies light in the darkest places. We lit the candle of hope, reminding us of our hope in the one to come. We lit the candle of peace, reminding us (laughs) to imagine new ways of living in the peace of Jesus. And last week, we lit the candle of joy as a reminder that Jesus is our everlasting joy. And today, we light the candle of love, reminding us of the great love that the Father has for us, reminding us that his stance toward us is single, and it is relentless. He loves us. Our scripture reading for today is the story of the grateful love of Zechariah. Am I pronouncing that right? Okay, thank you. Uh, found in Luke 1, <laughs> 67 through 80. I should have read this before. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by redeeming his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. This is the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we have learned to love from being loved by you. And so today, let us enact that love. Let us live that love. We know that what the world needs now is more love. We need to remember how much you love each one of us, and we must share that love with others. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, So this is mine and Lindsay's core group. Um, If you want to have a fun time, sign up for this group. I don't think I've ever had as much fun in a core group in my life. Like, not lying. Um, It's great. Um, And so so if you want a core group, we meet on Tuesday nights at 7. So that's one on our website that you can sign up for. It's great. Hey, so a few announcements, a few cautions too. The one caution I have to you, I've been sick all week, and we prayed really hard that the uh, Mucinex would work in the next... I hope 20 minutes. I lied last, listen, I have to apologize. Last time I preached, I told you guys it was going to go fast, and then I did the greatest improvisation of my life. (laughs) 
And I went to the back, and Miranda was, was um, back there, and I leaned over to you, and I was like, I can't apologize to anyone. I don't have a microphone. Everyone, I don't have a microphone anymore. I just want to tell you I'm sorry. <laughs> that was not a short sermon. I only have six pages, and I hope the Spirit led me, <laughs> not the rabbit trails. Um, the second thing I want to say is... Um, so uh, in 2021, me and our missions pastor, Josh Armstrong, got the opportunity to spend almost every Monday morning with uh, Will of Raising the Voice, the people that we're providing a roof for. So I got to meet with that guy every Monday morning and just to see his heart for Knoxville. Um, and let me say this, I, had, I was a part of our church in Knoxville. I hung around a lot of people in Knoxville. I got to see their heart, and there are a bunch of great hearts. I don't know anyone who's having a greater impact than Will and his wife in Knoxville that are truly serving that community the way they are. And the hours he works, you guys would be amazed at. That guy is putting in hours. He's helping out other organizations in the community and overseas because he's so gifted at what he does. Um, so is there, if there's any, and guys, all those things are great things to give to. Um, I just want to make sure we get Will and Katie that roof because they are doing amazing work. So basically, if God is leading you to give towards anything, please give to that. They are doing amazing work. Um, so let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for... Ah, just a moment of silence. That in such a busy season, we can take a moment and just breathe as we sit here. So Father, I pray today that you would sow us your kingdom, that your kingdom would come amongst us, that you would break through, that Jesus, as you did as a child, you broke through. And Jesus, we ask again in this moment, as you do every Sunday in ways, Lord, we don't even know. We pray that you would come and do the work that you do. So Spirit, we invite you into this place. And Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we are in our fourth week of Advent. And I don't know about you guys, but this season has come and gone. Like Advent um, arrived and like this season has gone by faster than any other season in my life. It's a time for us to get our hearts ready and to prepare our hearts for the reason of why we so celebrate this and hope, peace, joy, and love. And I know for us, me and Christy have been in the process of selling our house and we haven't put any Christmas ornaments up because what psycho would do that just to pack it all and move away? Like, um, it's crazy. And so, so we haven't done that. The Christmas vibes are not in the Stewart house right now. The making money off your house vibes are in our house right now. <laughs> um, all that is going on. And, um, and uh, Christmas and Advent had just seemed to come and go so quickly. I don't know if it feels that way for you guys. It has snuck up on us a bit. And maybe for you today, you feel distracted, heavy, or even frustrated, uh, bracing for family time that may be uncomfortable this year, maybe you're processing grief and pain and going to have to sit with that year at Christmas time. Um, there are numerous reasons why many of us struggle to be present to this season. And if you're in that place, I want to say that you're not alone in that. Like this morning, you are actually in good company because um, I think that's a lot of us in this room. 
Today we are going to talk about love, and I have found that the last three times I've preached, there's been a theme to what I've preached, and it has been about forming our deep inner reality to the teachings of Jesus. And I don't think that's any coincidence for me, and I don't think that's any coincidence for us as a community. I know that as me and Christy go to Atlanta and we start doing work amongst marginalized and forgotten people who will never enter an organized church, um, that Jesus has been telling me that if my inner reality is not rooted in his teachings and loving care for me, then I won't be able to respond to the brokenness that I encounter. But most important, I won't be able to respond to the brokenness the work is going to bring out of me. And that's real. And I see it. And I'm terrified of it. Um, And for us as a community, I think it's the same way. That God is calling us to be a church that lives for the sake of others, for the sake of our community. And I think it's been a theme amongst our staff for, for basically the past past few months, that there's this big formational stir of the Spirit in our community to live and have a deep inner reality of the things we talk about and the things we hear every Sunday and throughout the week. And and Advent offers us an opportunity to form ourselves to that deep inner reality of hope, peace, joy, and love. Once again, this isn't religious rhetoric. It's not a fantasy or just nice Christian things we put on a coffee mug and drink coffee out of. I have those. Um, They are deep inner realities for us to actually experience. And the struggle is to believe that they are, so they take root in us. The danger is that if if we proclaim those things to be true and don't do the work of formation that roots our lives in them, and I know this from experience, that delusionment typically comes I know that in my own life. And delusionment will make you think that there isn't even a God or somehow God is deficient. And thus our view of evil begins to shape our view of God. And rather than a view of God shaping our view of the circumstances and evil in the world. And what I mean by that is that we allow our circumstances and experience to shape God. Instead of allowing God to shape our experiences and circumstances. That's the danger of not doing the work of formation. And that's why I think Advent is so important. And today, I personally, I feel those places even in my own soul when it comes to love. That there are some deep inner places where love has not yet reached my soul and life and places. And yet, as we look at the world, we may ask the question, uh, I think the Black Eyed Peas said, where is the love? Um, If you've ever seen Night at the Roxbury, don't let your kids watch it, but what is love, right? Um, I'm not going to do the headbanging. And we ask that question because God's kingdom, which we talk about a lot around here, which basically just means God's order of things is ordered by love, because what the Bible tells us is that the God who's over this kingdom of order is a God of love. This is why God, and, and here's the deal, his kingdom is ordered by love, yet in this world there are two other kingdoms. There are the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of us, the kingdom of self, the queendom that we get and when God allows us to operate in our own will and way. This is why God tells us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because there are some places where the kingdom of us and our will and wants And the kingdom of darkness aligned together, bringing about all kinds of evil and hatred. The evil and hatred in the world doesn't come from out there. It comes from in here. And I know that because I deal with those places in my own life. 
Now the kingdom, kingdoms of self and darkness are allowed to exist for some reason in God's wise and loving will. Um, and the reality is, I think you and I will never be able to understand that. Can we just go ahead and, say, and settle that expectation? Um, because I think the people that, that, that really bring in and really articulate and try to make sense of it, I think they end up making God look like a monster, right? Putting evil on God. And I just don't think God has anything to do with evil, right? And so let's go ahead and settle this. We just don't know why God allows this to exist, and that's okay. If God is really omnipotent over this world, then we probably can't be able to explain everything he does. Again, though, as we experience this as human beings, it's easy to enter a disillusionment because the reality of love seems to be like a vapor, a vapor in the wind. We're grasping for it. It seems to be just good religious rhetoric or a great thought because the kingdom of self and darkness seem to be the most true thing. I don't know about you guys. I experience that more often than I do a kingdom of love. They seem to be winning. Uh, what would you have thought if you lived during the plague or 2020? with all of 2020? Or what would you have thought as a faithful Jew in the 40s? What do you think of when you hear about kids being abused or a random car crash killing a whole family? Our experience is that these things seem to be winning. So our experience of the truths we have been talking about the last few weeks must be religious rhetoric because they don't make any really good sense because the good still die young, economic injustice spreads, War still persists, suffering and hate continue, and the innocent are abused and slaughtered. And I could go on and on, and so could you this morning. And this is the backdrop of what we're reading in Luke. The people have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this breakthrough, for the righteous king to come, who would put an end to this. The backdrop of Luke 1 is that the people are suffering, and there seems to be no hope, peace, joy, and even most love. The world seems to be locked into evil. And this could be why Zechariah had a really hard time hearing the message of Gabriel. Early in this chapter, Zechariah is chosen by Lot, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer incense in the temple. Um, he encounters the angel Gabriel who tells him that his wife will bear a son. His name will be called John, and he will prepare the people for the, co the coming Messiah. Gabriel, Gabriel begins his announcement to Zechariah by saying, do not be afraid, and I love that because the author, Brian John, states, angels always say, fear not, because that is what heaven has to say to earth. Fear not. Then the angel says, your prayer has been heard. Zachariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a child for a long time. The answer to their prayer had been delayed so that God can give them more than a child. God will give them a forerunner of the Messiah. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is delayed so that God can answer them in a greater way than we can ever imagine. And that's what we see in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. But with all that was going on in the world, it just made no sense to Zechariah. His faith proclaimed and anticipated these exact truths. But when it was time for the reality of it, he was so formed by the circumstances they have experienced for 400 years couldn't break through the barrier to find his faith and what he believed in that moment. He couldn't connect it. So he responds, how can I know this? Zechariah asks the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. 
Now listen, you will become silent and, and, and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And Zechariah was a person who thought deeply about these things and prayed and discussed them with others and hoped that he would find this fulfillment in his own lifetime. That as a faithful Jew, certainly what God began in Abraham is going to happen. What God declared through the judges and the kings and the prophets. And certainly that story is going to culminate in my lifetime. And what we read in scripture that we read today in Zechariah is bursting forth in a joyful prophetic song that God is acting at last. And he is going to give knowledge and salvation and forgiveness of their sins. He's going to be a light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And he will guide our feet into the way of love. These, two, these other two kingdoms are not going to go away, the kingdom of self and the kingdom of darkness. But we can learn to root ourselves in love. They aren't going to go away, but we can stop the hate. That these truths can be a deep inner reality in our heart. Our deep inner reality doesn't have to be rooted in circumstances and experiences of life, but in the reality of God's love for us. We can be grounded in something completely else than our experiences and what the chaos of the world is yelling at us. And this is the invitation today. That's the invitation of the story of Zechariah. What we saw at the start was Zechariah not being rooted in truth, but the circumstances of life and reacting in disbelief. What we see at the end of this story is Zechariah in faith responding in prophetic song, declaring God's faithful love and competence towards himself by the birth of his son, John the Baptizer, who was the forerunner to the Messiah, the promise of God which is coming now. This week, we get John who is at Advent. Next week, Lindsay gets to preach about the Christ who is Christmas. So with this backdrop, here's the invitation and the work I want us to do this morning to take this question seriously. Is God's love a reality for me or is it just religious fantasy? Is it a reality in which I am deeply rooted in that the words of Jesus in John 15 are true in my heart when he says, as the Father has loved me, so do I love you. And that's an amazing statement. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because what he's saying is, as my father delights in me, who is holy and blameless in his sight, who never sinned, that's how I delight in you. And then he ends with saying, abide in my love. Abide in that love that no matter what you've done, when you come to him, he takes joy in you. He sees you as blameless and holy in his sight. That when you come, he's not sighing like, oh, this person again. But that he's joyful and happy. And that's what he wants us to root ourselves in. That's what it means to abide in him. And when we went to Phoenix as a staff last year, um, we went to a vineyard conference. And Aaron Britt was telling the story. I forget how it came up. But she said, yeah, when people ask me about Chad, this is what I say. And I stopped and listened because I was like, this is interesting. I want to know what she's going to say. And she goes, Chad just really, I tell people that Chad just really believes that God loves him. And I was like, out of all the things you could say, that's what you say? I try to be funny. I don't know if you guys will say that. I call myself funny. Um, 
smart, charming, fun to be around. Any of those things would have been great. But no, Chad just really believes that God loves him. Um, That's how I took it. And I was offended for about a day. And then I told Johnny, and Johnny's like, that's the best compliment you, like, you could ever get. And I was like, ah, you're right. And it's true. And what she said was true. And in that God, and I've thought about that a lot this week, and I thought about it last Sunday, about God's goodness in my life of rooting me there early, early on. Because with my personality and my conscience, I don't know if I would be here if he didn't do that. Um, one of the ways he did that, and mind you, if I cry... I don't normally talk about this, um, but God rooted this deeply in me in in my life um, when I was a child. Um, I had a brother who was three years older than me. His name was Brady. Um, um, And if you talked, and if you listened to me earlier, I talked about people attributing evil to God that makes God look like a monster. Um, uh, My family wasn't a believing family, but I had this brother growing up who was severely mentally handicapped. He understood very few things. My family had to feed him every meal. We had to change his diaper. Um, We had to do everything for him, like his whole life. Um, And he passed away in August of last year, and I got the ability to do the the eulogy for my family this past February, in which family um, I haven't seen in years were all gathered together. And I couldn't find words to say, like, I don't know how to explain my brother's life um, because of suffering and pain. He had, in his 37 years in life, over 40 surgeries. Um, we were always going to the hospital when, when I was a kid, the Ronald McDonald House, all these things. Um, but I saw suffering of a human being firsthand. And when God showed me my brother, it was the night before. I was like, Jesus, I have no words. I really don't know what to say about my brother. And then God showed me my brother, though bound in mind and body, lived more of a free life of anyone I've ever known. He was more free than I've ever been. Um, Unlike me, my brother didn't have the capabilities to hold resentment or grudges. He just, just didn't have that capability. He never spoke a bad word about anyone, no matter what you did to him. Now, he did speak bad words often, (laughs) usually calling me a bowling word and then laughing about it, Um, but you always felt loved by the bowling word. If you want to know that word, ask me. I'll get fired in my last full week here, so Um, a few hours before he died, my cousin Jared FaceTimed in and family was FaceTiming in, and Brady really doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know the pain he's in. He just doesn't have the capability for that. And um, Jared was saying, Brady, I love you, bye. Bowling word. Like called him that name. And then we went to the after party and uh, Brady's uh, funeral and Jared's telling the story. And he just has this smile on his place. Yeah, yeah, Brady called me this. His last words ever to me. Um, (laughs) And he was so excited and felt loved by it. Brady was free because the circumstances of his life did not dictate how he responded to people and God. And I don't know about you, but my inner reality doesn't know that. I respond to people by how you treat me, the grudges I hold, if I'm not getting enough recognition. He was so formed by love that uh, people used to always tell me, "Your your brother probably wishes he could do everything that you can do. I wish I could be like my brother. 
I wish I didn't hold resentment. I wish I could love freely anyone who I come in contact with. At an early age, I witnessed a love that is patient, love that is kind, love that is not envy, love that does not boast, that is not proud, that does not dishonor others, that is not self-seeking, that is not easily angered, that keeps no record of wrongs, a love that does not delight in evil but rejoices in truth, that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And God didn't do that. It happened, but God used it. And he helped form what is largely an unbelieving family. If you go ask my family, my brother's condition wasn't a reason not to believe in God. It was a reason to believe that there is something more. And that's how, we, and that's how God got to us. That's how he got to me. It is, it is interesting that Zechariah had an angel induced nine months of silence after his response of unbelief, that God saw fit that the way to catch Zechariah's heart and mind up with all that he believed and anticipated was through the very act of silence. Silence is the one thing we hate most, and it's the one thing we don't get in this season. But we're a church of formation. We're people trying to form our inner deep reality to the teachings of Christ, and the one thing we can practice most in this season to catch our heart up is silence. It's the reason why we pause during that song after each prayer. Henry Nouwen has a quote about this. He says, at first, silence might only frighten us. In silence, we start hearing voices of darkness, our jealousy and anger, our resentment and desire for revenge, our lust and greed, our pain over losses, abuses, and rejections. These voices are often noisy and boisterous. They may even deafen us. Our most spontaneous reaction is to run away from them and return to our entertainment. But if we have the discipline to stay put and not let these dark voices intimidate us, they will gradually lose their strength and recede into the background, creating space for softer, gentler voices of the light. These voices speak of peace, kindness, Gentleness, goodness, joy, hope, forgiveness, and most of all, love. They might at first seem small and insignificant, and we may have a hard time trusting them. However, they are very persistent, and they will be stronger if we keep listening. We keep on being silent. They come from a very deep place and from very far. They have been speaking to us since before we were born, and they reveal to us that there is no darkness in the one who sent us into the world, only light. They are a part of God's voice calling us from all eternity, my beloved child, my favorite one, my joy. That's what silence gives us. As God prescribed, it's a God-prescribed way of rooting ourselves in the love of God. So as you go out today, you won't get much silence this week. I ask that you take time for silence. Allow the voices of, je of jealousy, the wrongs done to you, to roll off. Stay there for long enough until then the voices of light break forth. And they will. And so I want to ask you this morning, is God's love a reality in your heart? And if not, what places are you struggling with at this morning? Places where you are struggling to believe and entrust yourself to his competent, loving care. We're going to go into Selah right now. 
And in those places, I trust that the Holy Spirit in this moment will come to us and show us those places in our heart where, where we feel resentment, where we feel chaos, where we feel unbelief, where we feel unsettled. I trust him to point those out to us. And those are the places where love needs to be deeply formed in us. So I'm going to ask that we take some silence over the next minute, and then I'll come give the invitation for communion. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your presence amongst us. I don't know, Jesus, I feel like this is a heavy moment. So, Father, I pray that the places that you've pointed out or that we know and what's love and your love for us is not a deep inner reality in our heart. I pray right now that you would sow us in your kindness. And I pray, Father, in this next few minutes of silence, that Spirit of God, I pray that you would come in your grace. And speak to us those places so that we can hold them before you. And it's your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.